Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That game sucked. Toronto Blue Jays with a, a bad one. They lose 5-2 to two to the Oakland Athletics yesterday. They are off today as they regroup here. Coming off of what I guess you would call a successful road trip in general. Feels like as so much of this season has, though, uh, like a bit of a missed opportunity. They go 4-2 and two at Colorado at Oakland. Yes, sweeping teams is difficult. You can never look at any stretch of the schedule and be like, yep, that should be all wins. You should go 6-0. and However, the Toronto Blue Jays continue to be a team that can't string good baseball games together for any length of time. They are still without a winning streak longer than four games since way back in April. Uh, pretty much every team in the mix with them in the playoff races has had winning streaks longer than that, more recently than that. Um, you know, I've said it a couple times. There's been no point in the season at which the Blue Jays look like one of the best teams in baseball. They're good. Going four and two on a six game road trip when you're in a different time zone and you're down, you know, three pretty key players. That, that's not bad, but it's still even down those pieces, even on the road, even on the West coast uh, seems like a bit of a missed opportunity to only have taken four out of six in that series. And that is informed, of course, by the six games that preceded that, where, yes, you took two of three against Washington, but really felt like you probably should have had all three of those. And you lost two of three to Cleveland in a series where you absolutely should have won it. So you zoom out. And we had looked at this 15-game chunk of schedule for weeks as this would be the Blue Jays' chance to make up ground in the wildcard race. They've underperformed a little bit. Um, you know, they ha again, they haven't been bad. They, As much as they don't have any big extended winning streaks or, hey, win seven of eight or eight of nine streaks, they don't have any of those on the losing side either. They, they kind of go four and three every week. And, yeah, as Harden and I have joked around, that gets you to 90 wins, which is kind of right on the cuff of the playoff race. And wouldn't you know it, that's where the Blue Jays are uh, right now and where they project to be. So, this stretch that was supposed to be a 15 game stretch where they could really make up ground. They have technically made up ground. That's true. The Texas Rangers have been an abomination for about a month. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that Texas Houston series. And look, if you're the blue Jays, you got to keep your eyes on your own page right now. And you can't take much pleasure in how badly one of the teams you're chasing is doing. That's true for the Blue Jays. That's not true for me, Blake Murphy. I, I can laugh at the Rangers having an historically bad series against the Houston Astros. Um, look, the Jays on this 15-game stretch now, they're 12 games into it. They're only 7-5. and five. Even if you swept the Royals, you know, 10-5 and five is good. But we were looking at this. I think Buck Martinez was on with Blair and Barker before this 15-game set and said, set the bar at 12-3. and three. Well, that's out the window. And if you win another series, it's nine and six. Again, it's not bad, but this Blue Jays season has felt at times like uh, it's defined by missed opportunities. And that is obvious when it comes to runners in scoring position and close losses and things like that in the early parts of the season. Um, it also feels like that now during this stretch where, again, it's good, but it's not terrific. And they kind of needed a terrific little run here. Yesterday's game kind of emblematic of what has ailed them at times. They lose five to two to Oakland uh, within that Hyunjin Ryu was solid. Once again, he gave up a two run home run. 
but got through five innings, only needed 77 pitches, five strikeouts to one walk. Looked pretty good. Uh, the sinker was back. The curveball is comical at this point where, uh, you know, I think our, I think I had mentioned it yesterday and then Arden said it on the broadcast as well. It's Zach Granke-ish in terms of the velocity being down so much and like Ryu turning around to look at what the what the movement was on. Uh, if any of you have got this question in the text line a couple times before, so I'll just explain. If you ever look up at Rogers Center and you're looking where the pitch velocity is and you see the H and V scores, those are horizontal and vertical movement on a pitch versus what we'd expect, um, you know, w- without the the spin and the break you put on a pitch. Uh, yeah. Ryu like takes a little piece, a little peek at those uh, after some of his curveballs. It, it's pretty fun. So good Ryu start. Again, I mentioned the sinker was back. He didn't throw a ton of them. He had ditched it in the Colorado start and Chris Black and I were talking off air yesterday after the show about some of the effects that Coors Field has on pitch movement and, um, you know, a sinker, his sinker, as something that not only sinks, but also has that kind of late whip back in to the arm side as a lefty, um, you know, pitches like that move weird at core. So not entirely surprised that he ditched that one. Trevor Richards had trouble with his changeup in the, in that series as well. Um, nonetheless, Hyunjin Ryu is, is pretty effective. The cutter was really good. Uh, the curveball is the curveball, um, And yeah, he gives up one mistake pitch. Gets taken for a two-run home run. You can live with that. If Hyunjin Ryu, who is ostensibly your number five starter, gives you five innings of two-run ball, you should feel real good about winning that game. That is especially true if you are going up against a guy in J.P. Sears who has an ERA, comes into the game with an ERA up near five, and it's a bullpen that's very bad and just DFA'd a bunch of guys and, and optioned a bunch of guys after the last game, um, and you're into it pretty deeply. It didn't play out that way. Trevor Richards came in in the, in the sixth, really struggled. He gave up a, a three-run shot to Carlos Perez. So the Jays are down, you know, big. This is still a team you should expect to get some offense against. Um, you know, Sears walked four guys and gave up four hits over five innings. You should have more than one run to show for that, similar to Waldachuk on um, Tuesday where the Blue Jays had 12 at bats with a runner on base over Waldachuk's six innings and weren't able to cash any of them. Uh, just one run cashed against Sears over five. Uh, look, Mason Miller coming off the IL to be a multi-inning guy out of the bullpen and hit 99 and 100 instead of re-entering the starting rotation on the weekend. That was a bit of a tough break, but it's still, you know, a young pitcher on the Oakland Athletics and um, you, you've handled velocity pretty well. They, they, just really didn't do much. They continue to game the system a little bit when it comes to hitters with hitting with runners in scoring position where they just don't put many runners in scoring positions. So their numbers can't be that bad. Uh, they went one for five in this one. There was a Davis Schneider home run in the eighth that gave kind of a glimmer of hope, but the Jays weren't able to add any more from there uh, within that game. You have to, and I, I certainly don't mean this to do the, expected versus actual results conversation again with Vladimir Guerrero jr. But he hit two rockets in that game that didn't go out. Um, One of them was followed by Davis Schneider hitting a ball much less well that picked a better part of the ballpark and uh, managed to carry out. And the A's throughout this series had a couple that didn't look like they were going to leave and managed to scrape over the wall. So a tough break for Vlad, but what do you, going to do uh about it that's that's how they uh that's how the balls 
drop in or don't. Um, so tough one for Vlad there. Tough one for the Blue Jays offense overall. Honestly, one of the the only bright spots uh, offensively was other than Kevin Biggio continuing to stay hot and David Schneider homering. Um, Tyler Heineman was 0 for 0 with a pair of walks. So uh, for a guy who doesn't have much of a track record as a hitter, wasn't hitting particularly well at AAA, continues to at least when he gets opportunities with the Blue Jays, do the thing that they're asking for these AAA guys to come up and do, which is work professional plate appearances, don't give at-bats away, um, even if you don't get a hit, you know, make the pitcher work for it, things like that. Heinemann is at least able to check that box. As far as third catchers go, um, not too bad to have Heinemann as your AAA depth. Uh, There aren't many teams that have three good catchers, I think, our perspective on that got warped a little bit last year with Gabriel Moreno being the extra guy up. Uh, yes, it'd be nice to have him now. Yes, it'd be nice if Dalton Varsho had played some some catcher at some point this year so you could maybe lean on him. Um, but you also need Varsho in center field, and he's been one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball. And, I mean, they're just probably not going to do it at that at this point. I will ask Ben Nicholson-Smith about it a little later, though. Um, To set the show up for you, Ben Nicholson-Smith joining us around 11. Ben Verlander will be on with us around 11.35. We're going to talk to J.J. Cooper of of Baseball America around 10.30 about some of... So we've talked a lot this year about the rule changes at AAA and how different minor leagues are, are playing in different environments with slightly different rules or different balls or different hitting environments. The AAA, the International League and the PCL... Um, changed the ABS system as of Tuesday. JJ Cooper was all on top of that, uh, reporting it out. We'll kind of ask him about why, what this means, what the data might show us. I think it pairs well with our conversation with Matt Haig, the Buffalo Bisons hitting coach from yesterday. Um, and we'll also talk to, to JJ about, um, you know, some names in the Jays farm system, the Baseball America uh, podcast had a, a Ricky Tiedemann scouting report the other day. So we'll, we'll dig in on that a little bit as well. There are also some fun prospect things going on around baseball right now. Unfortunately, one of those is with the New York Yankees and Jason Dominguez. Um, Noel V. Marte, who we saw debut when the Jays were playing the Reds, has uh, settled in and been pretty fun here. Fun moment between him and Julio Rodriguez last night. Um, lots of prospect stuff to talk. Jordan Lawler's coming up for, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, so uh, some fun stuff to talk about there. We'll also sprinkle in your text to 590 uh, and we'll start with, oh, I'm also going to give some tickets away at the end of this segment. So kick around until, I don't know, 1020-ish. And uh, we're giving away tickets the rest of this week and early next week to uh, games in that Jays Ranger series. So we'll do that uh, before we break. Stick with us another 10 minutes or so. Um, Chris from Owen Sound says, can anyone please explain why Ryu, their best pitcher, isn't going deeper into games? Schneider hasn't let him go past five yet. Um, that one's pretty straightforward to me, Chris. First of all, Ryu was a five and dive or four and door guy before the Tommy John injury, they had already started to manage his workload and his pitch load and things like that. Now at that point in 2022, he was not pitching nearly as effectively as he is right now, but the way they have used him has suggested they don't want him to push too far past 80 pitches. Um, This is, a 36 year old coming off his second Tommy John surgery who, you know, didn't take a ton of time in the minors to ramp back up to a major league level. I think this is just being careful with him and making sure the entire season view is in mind. You're also carrying an extra bullpen arm right now. Your bullpen was extremely well rested yesterday um, and with an off day today. So I get it. I, you know, there have been times with Kikuchi certainly and Barrios to a lesser extent, but sometimes as well where I really would have liked them to go out and get that extra inning with Ryu, given the age and injury and things like that. I can understand it uh, a little bit more. The one thing that 
you know, is maybe a little uncomfortable and you should maybe get used to is the fact that they've done this with Kikuchi and they've done this with Barrios at times and they've done this with Hyunjin Ryu with regularity. Um, and they did it in the wild card game last year. I don't know that the Jays are going to let their starters go super long in any playoff games if they get there. Uh, it might be a might be a five and dive permanent strategy when you're carrying a bullpen this good and this deep. And obviously Trevor Richards was not particularly uh, good yesterday and he's been a little up and down since he came back from the IL with the neck inflammation. So something to watch there. He may have, you know, certainly hasn't lost his spot in the bullpen, but he might slide down the leverage chart a little bit if Chad Green pitches well and things like that. Um, so worth keeping an eye on there. But yeah, with Ryu, I think it's it's mostly a return from injury thing. Uh, Brad in Newfoundland gets the next question because anytime someone is from Newfoundland or from Cambridge, I'm going to push them to the top of the list. Uh, Brad asks, Vlad stood at the plate and admired another shot that never left the park, le- left the park less than a week since last time. Uh, Schneider has to pull him from the game in that spot. No, um, no. I don't, I think, look, anytime, anytime it's something like that, like you have to, and this is the same for people who have suggested benching Vlad because he's underperformed or or things like that. He is still a good player. Uh, He, you know, not relative to first baseman and his prior offensive level. Like we don't need to have this discussion again. He's underperformed. He's only been worth about half a win this year above replacement. It's not been great. But when you look at this offense and it's a team that's really struggled to put runs on the board, I think pulling a guy who is still one of your best hitters, if you leave all that expectation context aside, uh, is cutting off your nose to spite your face a little bit. Um, Yeah, I, I think the fact that that just happened and you had to talk about it and then it happened again is not great. And I think that that conversation needs to happen again, probably Um, there's a point at which, you know, maybe he comes out of a game, but I think right now with with how much these games matter and and I get that this seems like, you know, I'm suggesting there should be no accountability there. There should be accountability, but I don't know that it's accountability in the form of hurt your chances of winning a ball game. Uh, it's just, it's an awkward time of year for that kind of discipline. Stephen Brampton asks, uh, because of the changes in pickoff rules, steals are way up. I will say that's also because of, of the pitch clock uh, and the bases being closer. It's not just the, uh, the pickoff rules, but yes, that's a, that's a part of it. Uh, Jay's opponents are running wild on them. Uh, Jay's are not running. Why are the Jay's being lapped uh, by opponents like this? So I think there are a couple things here. It's a great question, Steve. By the way, and it's something that, you know, it certainly looks bad at coming off of a couple series against bad teams where bad teams, this is like, logically, we can say, yes, bad teams have more incentive to steal bases because who cares? They're not playing to win. You may as well run, create some chaos, figure out what your guys have, get that experience. There's also a statistical case to be made that if you have, if you are less likely to win a game, you know, that's a kind of a David strategy to gum a game up and add some randomness or add some chaos. There's a reason that, you know, you look at these stolen base leaderboards team by team, and there are a handful of bad teams in there and a Cincinnati Reds team that was supposed to be bad and has overperformed expectations um, and who have dialed down the stolen base aggression as they've been, you know, closer to uh, a playoff spot here and have to play more traditional or more, risk aware baseball we'll say 
So what goes into this, Steve, is, I mean, some of it is personnel. The Blue Jays don't just don't have a lot of burners. Um, that is how they built the roster. They, they want, you know, they seem to like having a bunch of guys who could steal 10 to 20 bases instead of a guy who can steal 50 or 60. Um, the better your team is offensively, the less aggressive you should be stealing bases. Now, again, some of that's personnel based, but basically the higher your run environment, um, the less valuable that extra 90 feet is and the more costly an out is. Um, Now, the Jays have not hit this way, but I would guess that their internal metrics say, you know, tilt the math a little bit more than maybe we would think when they're scoring two runs in a game because this is on paper still a good lineup and they're you know, metrics or whatever would suggest, yeah, they're a team that should be scoring closer to five runs a game instead of four and a half, and that changes the math. Um, on the defensive side, look, Alejandro Kirk is just not a, gra- a guy who's tremendous controlling the run game. Tyler Heineman has a reputation as a good defensive catcher, but he has not controlled the run game particularly well when he's come up. But here's the, you know, we're gonna we're going to modernize an old Ricky Hendersonism, which is, you know, he, he used to say all the time, you steal off a pitcher. I think the data that we have available. And now that we can kind of measure this stuff a little bit more, it tells you, yes, you steal off a pitcher and you get thrown out by a catcher. So some of this is going to be, of course, the, on the blue Jays pitchers, uh, Chris Bassett's a guy who mixes up the tempo and the pitch clock. Well, to try to minimize that stuff. Kevin Gosman, for example, is a guy who can be run on. Hyunjin Ryu can be run on. Um, Kikuchi's got the good pickoff move, but once he's into his windup, guys seem to be a, a little comfortable going. So some of it is a pitcher element. And then the catcher element, you're not saying, hey, Kirk and Heineman and Jansen are the reason these guys are stealing bases. But if you steal on a pitcher, you get thrown out by a catcher. The Jays catchers aren't throwing guys out. And, and that's... You know, it's hard because the the blame and the credit for those things is is shared and you're working on a lot of things back there with blocking and framing and pitch calling and all that stuff. It's it's a hard job, but the Blue Jays catchers just have not been very good at it and it's gotten worse lately. So, yeah, I think it's a really good question, Steve. I think it's something that if you are one of these wildcard teams like the Minnesota Twins or the Tampa Bay Rays who are, you know, right now pretty clear favorites to host a wildcard series, you're looking at your own stolen base numbers and wondering just how much you should ration up the aggression. That's a more interesting question for say Minnesota, if they draw the blue Jays because Minnesota runs less than almost any team in baseball and certainly less than the blue Jays. Um, They've only stolen 75 bases all year. Tampa Bay though runs more than anyone other than Cincinnati and Kansas city and Kansas. Actually they run more than Kansas, uh, then Kansas city successfully, uh, Kansas city just doesn't really care about getting thrown out and stuff. And Kansas city doesn't get on base very much. Um, they have a, exactly a 300 OBP. So on like a per opportunity basis, Kansas city tries a little bit more, but Tampa's second in the league in stolen bases. They are fast and they're aggressive. And, um, you know, they're kind of a, a counter to that thought of, well, the higher your run environment, the less aggressive you should be given the out versus 90 feet trade-off, the Rays have said, no, 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 we can hit, and also we're going to run a ton. So if you look ahead to a potential matchup like that in the wild card, yeah, I think Tampa Bay is going to be really geeked up to run on you, and um, the Jays don't have the the personnel to counter with that. Even on the bench, you know, Mason McCoy comes in as a pinch runner. Okay, he has good stolen base numbers at, at AAA, but... They haven't used their pinch runners to steal bases. You know, Nathan Lucas was up another guy who is a a very good base runner, but not a huge base stealer. It's part of why 
you know, I had mentioned Cam Eden as an option to be added to the 40 man because maybe you, um, you know, just want that pinch running look off the bench at some point, even though he's not a major league caliber hitter, uh, he can run. He's like 48 for 52 stealing bases and uh, is a really good defensive outfielder. Um, Steve asks, I don't know why you'd be careful on Ryu when he's 36 and not on a contract with the team next year. Well, that's not a very nice perspective to have Steve. Um, you, this guy's been with you for four years. His agent also happens to be Scott Boris. And I don't know if you want to be reckless with a Scott Boris client right before free agency, just given how much power and control he has around some of the top names in baseball, including other guys on your roster. Uh, but also you just don't want to treat players recklessly. Um, that's it's just not a very, uh, this is not a very nice perspective to have. Yeah. Look, you don't want to go full early career, Steven Strasburg, where if the blue Jays are in a must win game on the final day of the season and you've got to turn to Hyunjin Ryu for an extra inning. Like, yeah, that's on the table, but against the Oakland athletics, do you want to push Ryu's workload when he's just back from a second Tommy John and you have a good and deep bullpen and you're playing literally the Oakland athletics. I think, you know, you should trust your team to, to figure it out there. Uh, that is not the situation to be less careful with a guy like Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, Scotty on Twitter had asked about claiming Randall Gritchick now because he's he's had a couple of, of hot days here and, you know, hits lefties pretty well and the Blue Jays are starting some lefties against lefties. Uh, I don't know, man. Dude, like, he, not a team in baseball claimed him when he went through waivers last time. He's back on there now. Um, sure, he's been a league average offensive player this year and he does hit lefties a little bit better. Probably a guy you want in left field at this point, not a not a guy you want in a, in a premium defensive spot, but look, the Jays didn't claim him last time. The only thing that's changed since last time really is that, um, you know, Boba closer to returning. So I don't know. I just, I don't see where his plate appearances would come from. Um, you know, Bo will get activated on the weekend and then Mason McCoy will go down. And then if you brought Grichik in, you know, I don't know, you send Ernie Clement down or, or whatever. Where does he get in? I'm sure there are opportunities, but Bo Bichette adds a pretty big right-handed bat back to your lineup and moves a pinch hit caliber right-handed bat back to the bench. Um, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't hate it. You could find a spot for him as the 28th man. Uh, I just don't think it's going to make really that much of a difference. And I don't think a, a hot week from Grichek should change uh, all that much. If you didn't like him last week, you shouldn't like him now. And uh, yeah, if you liked them last week, more cool, like them now. Um, it's uh, it's just a bit of a an odd guy to not get hung up on, but but to worry about when he went unclaimed before. Um, again, it's not nothing. If he can give you one important plate appearance down the stretch, then it's worth it because that's the kind of spot you're in now. Uh, by the way, the the spot the Jays are in are is still a wild card spot, half a game up on Texas with that four set coming up against them. Texas is now going to play Oakland for three on the weekend. Toronto's got Kansas city for three. Uh, so pretty big weekends for both of those teams. I think both of those teams are entering those series, wanting a split. And then next week they play each other for four games. So let's give you some tickets to one of those games. Uh, that four game series starts Monday down at Rogers center. They'll play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, September 11th to 14th. We are going to give away a ticket prize pack 
today, tomorrow, and a couple days next week that gives you a chance to go cheer the team on in these must-win games. Each prize pack includes a pair of tickets to one of the games in this series and some team swag. Uh, So to enter for a chance to win, you're going to listen for the code word in each of the next couple shows of Jay's Talk Plus. You're going to text it in to 590-590. And then, yeah, you're going to win some some tickets and some team gear uh, for the biggest series of the season, Jays Rangers down at Rogers Center. So when you hear the code word, text 590-590, win some tickets and some gear. Uh, go watch the Jays probably split a series with the Texas Rangers. So we're having all the same conversations uh, next week and the week after. To enter for your chance to win, today you're going to use the code word Schneider. So text Schneider to 590 590- 590 for your chance to win tickets to Monday's Jays Rangers game. Uh, we're giving another away another prize pack tomorrow and, and early next week. So keep tuning in for those. Today's code word to 590 590 is Schneider. It's up to you whether that's Davis or John Schneider or something about Looney Dogs. Your pick, which Schneider you're texting in about. Uh, but that is the code word for today. By the way, the Rangers in that series against Houston, they just got swept. They lost 13 to 6, 14 to 1, and 12 to 3. There were a couple stats floating around yesterday that the Rangers are the first team to give up 50 hits and 16 home runs in a three-game series ever. Let that sink in for 50 hits, 16 runs, 16 home runs, rather, in a series, 39 runs. Now, when I saw that stat, I was like, huh, that can't be right. Because in 2020, I remember the Jays having the worst series of all time against the New York Yankees. So I looked it up, and this is where people got a little cute with the stats. So 16 home runs and 50 hits in a series. Okay. That three game set in September against the Yankees in 2020, the Jays only gave up 44 hits. They also though gave up 19 home runs in a three game series. Uh, The Yankees in that series scored 43 runs against the Jays, whereas Houston just scored 39 against Texas. Uh, So take your pick. Houston got more hits in that series, uh, but the Yankees scored more runs against the Blue Jays and uh, MLB record that still holds by a wide margin, 19 home runs over a three-game set. I did not want to spend my morning reliving that series. I did not really want to uh, even bring it up, but because, you know, I found myself chuckling at the fate of the Texas Rangers a little bit, you know, had had to put myself back in place uh, there that series by the way the Yankees won the opener 20 to 6 uh hey Vlad homered in that game as did Lourdes Gurriel Jr uh but Taiwan Walker got absolutely shelled Shun Yamaguchi came in and also got shelled and then Anthony K Ken Giles Ryan Brucky all gave up home runs the final home run surrendered in that game surrendered by Santiago Espinal uh he came in to pitch the ninth of that one and DJ LeMahieu took him deep in the second game of that series. The Jays lost only 13 to two, much more, much more reasonable game. Joe panic homered for the blue Jays to, to try to keep things close. But Tanner Roark got shelled. Jacob Wagspack got shelled. Uh, Hector Perez had a rough one out of the bullpen. And then Anthony Bass had a clean one third of an inning. So at least, uh, at least he had a clean box score there in the series finale. Jays lost that one 10 to seven. Guriel homer twice in that game. So a lot of home runs on the, the J side of that series as well, but uh, a rare Julian Merriweather opener day, that one. And then chase Anderson gave up five home runs himself in that game before being followed by uh, Wilmer font 
and TJ Zoik. So yeah, that's uh that was only 2020. That wasn't that long ago that the Blue Jays were in the position that these Texas Rangers are. And the Blue Jays were playoff bound that year in the kind of garbage pandemic format year, but they're playoff bound nonetheless. Uh, things could always be worse. Things could be better, though, and the Jays will have a chance to make things better with three against the Royals coming up and then four against the Texas Rangers down here. If you missed it, Schneider, code word, Texas the 590-590, giving away tickets and uh, prize packs to that entire series over the next couple of days. We're going to take a break. In the second hour, we're going to talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith and Ben Verlander. Uh, but coming up after the break, AAA baseball is changing or has changed now as of Tuesday. The specifics of the automatic ball and strike system and the specifics of the zone that that creates for the challenge system. So for anyone who doesn't know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, the AAA leagues have been playing with an automated system. And then Friday through Sunday, umpires call the balls and strikes, but you can challenge. Something we've talked to Matt Hag about yesterday from the Bisons. We've talked to David Schneider and Ernie Clement about it. I've talked to a couple other guys down at the park about it. It's interesting. Some guys like it. Some guys don't. Some people like certain parts of it and want to tweak. So AAA is tweaking. They're also tweaking the pitch clock instead of, so Major League Baseball goes with 15 seconds with nobody on base, 20 seconds with a runner on base. AAA has been operating with 14 and 19 seconds. What they're going to do the rest of the way, though, is 17 seconds no matter what. Runner on base, too bad. You only get 17 seconds. Base is empty, well, you can take a breather and you get 17 seconds. Uh, the idea being they want to see how these changes play out over the last month, compare the data, things like that. Uh, J.J. Cooper, the editor-in-chief of Baseball America, has been all over reporting that story, was all over reporting some of the changes that were going on in the minor leagues before the season. So we're going to take a break, and J.J. Cooper will join us next to talk about that and Ricky Tiedemann as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. If the future freaks you out, it may be because uh, there could be robot umps at some point. The automatic ball strike system has been being trialed and tweaked in the minor leagues. A couple days a week of automatic, a couple days a week of a challenge system. Uh, Some people like it. Some people don't. That's true of the player side, the coach side, certainly the fan side. Uh, There is a lot to dissect with it and to make things more complicated, but more useful for those of us who are data minded. Triple uh, a is changing the rules for the final month of the season. That is effective Tuesday. JJ Cooper, the editor in chief of baseball America has been all over that story. He joins us now, but JJ, before we talk baseball in your own writing, I, I got to ask your dad has a book out. How proud are you? <laughs> That's his eighth book. That's eighth. The, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. So, yeah, and 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 he has way more uh, YouTube uh, subscribers than than I do. He uh, a couple of years ago, he's been a movie critic on the side for pretty much all my life. Like, and he did that again. He won his main job, but he always reviewed movies, wrote a column, and that turned into books. But then a few years ago, someone on Reddit noticed that there was this seventy-five-year-old guy with who kept putting posting movie reviews to YouTube, and uh, 
and basically said, you know, he's got, he's done it reliably. He's got like 1500 followers. Let's, you know, let's give him some, you know, some recognition. And within a span of a week, he went from a 1500 followers to a hundred and some thousand followers. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I am not the accomplished one in the family by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, congrats to your your dad on that success and his newest and eighth book. That's uh, that's awesome. People could check out your. Uh, you posted it on Twitter. Jackie yeah, Cooper on it. Yeah, Jackie K. Cooper. Uh, uh, yeah, just check that out, and you can check out all his books. All right. Uh, we can also check out your work over at Baseball America. And, JJ, you've been all over since, you know, the offseason and teeing up the season. The rule changes that are being enacted in minor league baseball kind of as trials for, hey, maybe this could work at the majors down the line. They were ahead of things in terms of tweaking things to increase more base running and to shorten game times mm -hmm. and things like that. But the big one now is, or at least the newsiest item, and you wrote about it earlier this week for Baseball America, is that minor league baseball is changing a couple of those things, changing the way the strike zone is defined for the automated system and changing uh, something with how the pitch clock is in force going from 14 seconds with nobody on base and 19 seconds with a runner on base to 17, no matter what. Um, I, I guess when you're reporting this out and when you're looking at this from a high level, the goal here, is it, is it because something wasn't working or is it almost entirely because they would like to have a different set of data to compare what we've seen so far to, so we can see, you know, Hey, what is causing what changes? What do we like better? That kind of uh, thinking with these late season changes. I would say both, right? Like one thing that is definitely true about this is obviously you can look at the pitch clock and things like that and say, there are things that MLB is going to do and they are willing to do so even if they don't get 100% buy-in from players and all, right? Like, I, I do think, like, the pitch clock would be an example where if you had just asked players and players had a simple yes-no vote on it, I don't know if it would pass the players, right? But MLB, and when I say MLB, the MLB commissioner's office, the owners had the right to implement that anyway, right? And so, but with that, as you said, these things are first experimented on in the minors to see if they work and if they do or they don't, and if they need to be tweaked and all that. So the second part of this is, is that there is also a part of this when you say, why are they tweaking it now? I think it is to get information, to get feedback now to, so they'll have, you know if this works or not in the last month before they go into next season. But the other part of it is, is that there's an aspect of this where it's like, oh, we can do this now, and I don't know if they necessarily could before, right? Which is when it's funny, like we could talk about this and we start with what is a strike zone? And I don't want to get too granular here, but like that by itself is a really tricky question because I think that a lot of fans, I think rightfully think of a strike zone as like a box, right? It's a 3D box. And so if the ball crosses the plate, Within that box, from the front of the plate to the very back of the point of the plate, it's a strike. But I will tell you right now, if you actually did that with a computerized system, I think fans and players would hate it, right? Because pitches that are thought of as strikes now would not. But more importantly, there would be pitches that's like, how do you even hit that? And you'd have breaking balls that just nip the very back of the plate or – 
a high curveball, you know, a high pitch that just drops just into the back of the box, things like that, that, that just aren't how an actual strike zone is called. That's not the computerized system they're using. They're using a, a, a 2D box, a plate, basically a plane that it crosses at the midpoint of the plate. But, but so then you say, well, how do you set the height and, the, and the, you know, how do you set how high it is and how low you set the strike zone? And what they had done was you take your height and we do a formula of it. So if you're six foot two, it's going to be this percentage is where the bottom of the zone is, that percentage of your height, and this percentage is the top of the zone. But the problem with that is, is that different players, some are long-legged, some are long-torsoed. Some have stances that are very upright, some are more crouched and things like that. So what they've done to tweak now is they're saying they now have the ability with the Hawkeye system, with the visual tracking they're using, to say, here is this individual player's stance, and we're setting the strike zone based on their stance. We're going to set it roughly at their belt line for the bottom, or for the top, and we're going to set it at the knees for the bottom. And that's going to be for that individual player, and now they're going to see if that works. I know it was really long and trying to make it as simple and non-complicated as I can, but did that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely made sense. Now, for me, looking at a a player in the box and being Mm -hmm. like, huh, I wonder what two ball heights above the midpoint of his left hip is. Uh, I don't know. I'll still go with belt line as a rough approximation. But yeah, it it makes sense. And and as I understand it from both the data and from talking to people uh, around the AAA level and here in Toronto is that, you know, one of the areas that the way we define the strike zone has been difficult is, well, human umps and major league umps call the very top of the strike zone a little differently than maybe the letter of the law in the rule book. And these tweaks now seem to be aimed at giving pitchers a little bit back at the top of the strike zone. Is that a fair read on it? So basically, when they started the season, they artificially tweaked this zone in AAA to try to see if they could reduce the number of strikeouts on that high fastball, right? Okay. Like, so if we artificially bring it down a little bit, can that take away some of what we're seeing a lot of now, which is that, 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 right, that, that high forcing fastball with carry that gets lost during the swings and misses. And what we found is, is that you can a little bit, but you're going to up the walks even more. So this is trying to be – with all of this, I think this is actually designed – to make it more similar to the human strike zone again. And the key part of this, and I, I'm sure this is something we're going to get into, is, is that having been to a number of AAA games, having watched even more you know, over the last couple of years, and having talked to people who've been involved in those games, I do think that we are much more likely headed to, as you noted in your intro, the challenge system than we are to full robo lumps, right? Robo lumps is the, there's an earpiece, the ball crosses the plate, the computer basically tells the umpire ball or strike, and the umpire calls it. And it is done now in a way that is quick enough, seamless enough, that most fans in the ballpark don't even know that the umpire is not calling the pitch. It's not like this long delay. But when you talk to the players, when you talk to <laughs> coaches, and you just, if you just watch it, the challenge system does seem to be kind of the way to maybe, you know, solve the biggest problem here without nearly as much of an overhaul, which is 
hey, if there's an egregious miscall by the umpire, the batter or the pitcher can immediately challenge it. And by the way, when we say that this gets immediately a result, this isn't then the umpire stops and goes off mm. and puts in an earpiece and listens and all. It is literally then you just look up to the big screen and it shows where the pitch crosses the plate and it says, was that a ball or was that a strike? And the key thing is, is if you got the challenge right, it doesn't cost you anything. You basically, each team in AAA gets five wrong challenges a game, right? So that system would keep, like when an umpire clearly blows a call, you just challenge it and it's fixed in within 10 seconds. But at the same time, it doesn't take away a lot of the human elements of this. For one, which is, is that if I'm a major league catcher who's built a career based around the fact that I really do a good job of framing pitches around the zone, I don't want to lose my job because they just did this massive change and all of a sudden that's a, a useless, worthless skill. Things like that become kind of knock-on effects if you go to full robo-ups beyond the fact that the minute you go to full robo-ups, at that point, you probably never can go back. There's no option of ever going back because once umpires at the highest level lose the ability to call balls and strikes, once minor league umpires on the way up don't do that at all, just listen to an earpiece, you're talking about a skill that is lost that is not easily regained. And and I wonder, too, if even experimenting with it, you know, hey, uh, I don't know. There's a case to be made that the AAA umpires right now who are ostensibly be, being trained to be future MLB umpires, maybe standing in there mm -hmm. and looking and hearing the ball strike, maybe that helps pattern in your brain uh, and it, it actually helps your development. But I do wonder if there will eventually be a cost of, yeah, even if you don't go to the full robo system, that umpires are a little less effective because they've called fewer games or, or there are some uh, auto games. That's, that's something I've heard from uh, the player and coach side uh, as well. And, and there are some other, you know, externalities we can, can kick around with those things. I, I think of a guy, you mentioned the, the catcher framing value. You know, I think of a guy like Patrick Bailey from the giants who, yeah, he's a below average bat, not terrible for a catcher, but all the value there is in the, the pitch framing. You know, what does that guy's career look like? So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how that data compares and how this continues to play out. Um, you know, it sounds like most people could at least accept the challenge system if they wanted to implement it. Um, the other part of these changes, the, the pitch clock going from 14 and 19 seconds when the bases are empty or the bases are are, mm -hmm. there's, are occupied to just 17 seconds across the board. I know, JJ, you had mentioned before the season that there was a possibility minor league baseball would look at stolen base rates and move second base in physically so that it's entirely inside the baseline. So the bases are uh, uh, even closer than they are now after moving last year. Um, they're not doing that from the sounds of it. Why is that? And will the no. pitch clock change to 17 seconds across the board? You know, that that's shortening the pitch timer when guys are on base that that could improve stolen base, uh, you know, uh, aggression as well. So uh, I'll start with the reason that they're doing their experimenting, experimenting with that now is the feedback they got from hitters is if you're a hitter going back and forth is really weird and that upsets your routine, right? Okay. Like, and we talk about pitchers, but in this case, it really seems to be more from hitters is that if someone's on base, I get this much time. And I've got to also think about the fact that, you know, you have these set times that you have to be in the box by. And I've got to be thinking, okay, it's 17 and I got to be in box by then versus, you know, sorry, 19, I got to be in box by then. It's 14, I got to be in box by then, all that, right? 
But the other part of it is, is that the reason that that was put into place was the whole idea was, is that, well, if you're a pitcher, we have to give you more time because you've got to go through all the signs, right? You're going to have to do false signs, you know, things to keep your signs from being stolen. Well, since that went into place, now we have universal, near universal adoption of PitchCom, where either the catcher hits a button and the pitcher hears it in their earpiece, or in some cases the pitcher basically tells the catcher, here's what I'm going to throw, right? So once that happened and you have basically eliminated the manual finger signs with a runner on base, now you don't have nearly as much need to have longer period of time than you did with no one on base. And so it's really a case of where the tech has changed and so that it allows you to do something that you couldn't do before. I don't know if it's really designed as much to enhance further stolen bases because you still have the same tools as a pitcher that you did before, right? I think that the sense I get is, is that there is a feeling that the stolen base rate that has been seen this year in the majors is kind of has done what they wanted it to mm-hmm. do. Again, the feedback that, that I'm hearing is, is like, I don't know if they're looking at it and saying, oh, we really need to juice that stolen base rate some more. I think they feel like that, that's been done with, with the current rules. This is more of the idea of, hey, okay, we're trying to listen to the players that they say, if they would say, can we give us a consistent time? They're trying to do so in a way where, okay, we'll give you a consistent clock. However, we're not going to give you more time than we did before. We're going to average it out so that it should even out as far as being the same amount of time as far as the, they, they do not want the pace of the game. I would say that MLB is very happy that the pace of the game, that the dead time in the game has been dramatically reduced and they want to make sure that there's not a way where we turn around and we're back at an average game time of 305, where some games go 350 or four hours to a nine-inning game. They've eradicated that this year, and their goal is to keep that, but at the same time, do so in a way that's the least obtrusive to players. Yeah, and I think that that makes sense. And you know, hey, we're we're gonna these are moving targets, and you know, you you don't really know how something's gonna have an impact fully until you see it. But uh, good to tweak here a little bit down the stretch. It'll be fascinating to see uh, how the numbers play out and how the feedback play out. Um, JJ, in addition to reporting out on that, uh, of course, all your regular work as editor in chief at Baseball America includes the Hot Sheet podcast, where on the latest episode, you uh-huh. guys took a little look at Ricky Tiedemann, the top Blue Jays pitching prospect. Uh-huh. We haven't heard. You know, we have on this show, we've tried to keep an eye on it, but we haven't heard as much at the national prospect level on him this year because he hasn't pitched a ton, missed missed a bunch of time with the biceps injury, only just now getting kind of fully stretched back out for longer outings. Uh, What are you hearing or or seeing with Ricky Tiedemann right now? Well, I'll say I want to give a shout out to Jeff Ponce on our staff because Mm -hmm. he's the one who's seen because I think that he's been... He's based not far from the, the from the Fisher Cats, and so he has seen uh, a lot of Ricky Tiedemann outings, uh, you know, this year, and and has really, you know, kind of bared down on him. But the stuff is really good. Control needs to get better. But as we talked about on our podcast, the thing that you want to see that we haven't seen so far, which I do think is also uh, at least a shorter a short term concern. We're talking about twenty twenty four, is 
we haven't yet seen for Ricky Peterman that he can consistently give you that 85, really ideally 95, 100 pitches start after start, which is what's the expectation if you're in a major league rotation, right? If we're talking right now and saying, can Ricky Peterman be a factor in the Blue Jays' major league rotation next year? I think the biggest hurdle, the biggest question that he would face is he would be asked to take on a workload as a starter that he hasn't been able to show yet that he can handle in the minors. Now, there's other things, hurdles as well, but to as he's so far, as you said, he's getting stressed back out, but the season's running out pretty soon, <laughs> and I don't think he's really even going to be fully stressed out, right? We're talking about a pitcher who's – it's not just that he's been shut down at times this year, you know, with some injury issues, but on top of that, when he has pitched, it's been in shorter stints. We're going to get to the end of the year, and we're going to be looking at a, a situation where – Ricky Tiedemann is going to have a whole lot more 40 to 50 pitch outings than he's, he really doesn't have. He doesn't have an 85 pitch outing this year I'm, so far. And I don't know if he's going to get there before the season ends. So next year, let's say that he comes out. Let's say that he looks better and better in spring training. He has a great start in season in the minors. The one concern, if he even clears up the control issues and all that, the biggest concern is going to be, okay, as a starter, is he going to be able to handle this workload? And probably next year, it's going to be tough to, to ask him to do that, right? Now, we've seen pitchers who kind of break in as a reliever and then eventually move to the rotation. That could happen with him, something like that. But it's just going to be hard next year to say, oh, yeah, he's ready for 150 innings and regular 90-plus pitch outings because he just hasn't had a chance to do that yet as a pro. Yeah, it's a, it's a real concern. You know, maybe Arizona Fall League helps a little bit, but, you know, guys aren't generally throwing 100 no pitch outings. No one 90 pitches there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it helps the total workload, but maybe not the pitch count. But that'll be fascinating to watch. And, yeah, Jeff's been a regular on the show this year since he's so close to New Hampshire. I'm sure we'll talk to him uh, about it again soon. J.J. Cooper, thank you so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, keep up the great work with the Hot Sheet Podcast and everything else you guys do over at BA. Thank you again. It was always fun. J.J. Cooper, editor-in-chief of Baseball America. You can read a little bit more about those rule changes coming at AAA, why they're happening, what may or may not happen, you know, statistically and strategically as a result of that. Uh, Baseball America has been all over that. Um, you know, interesting to hear that and track how that's going to happen, especially after our conversation with Matt Haig yesterday, after we've watched David Schneider come up but struggle with that high strike Uh, that maybe gets called a little bit more in the automated system and the challenge system than it does at the major league level. uh, In addition to, you know, kind of the swing plane stuff that we talked about with Matt Hag yesterday. Um, It's all very fascinating and it makes, you know, makes you curious as to how certain guys and certain player types are going to translate from minor league environments. This isn't a new problem. As Meg Rowley told us last week, you know, we've always dealt with, Hey, Travis Snyder's ridiculous power numbers in the PCL. Are those going to translate to the majors? Um, the PCL is like every park is like Coors Field. And, and, you know, now we've got stuff, at different balls being used at different levels. It's all a big uh, cosmic gumbo of, of nonsense down there. But it is really fun. And AAA is obviously the closest to the majors, the most translatable data, the players we're going to see with the shortest gaps between 
this level and that level. So uh, really fun to see how all that stuff's been playing out and look ahead to how that might work at the major league level. If something like the challenge system uh, makes its way there, we're going to take a break. When we come back, talk to Ben Nicholson Smith of Sportsnet about those series that were tee up the series ahead here. And uh, I don't know, try to figure out when we might see Alec Bono on a Buffalo Bison's mound. Uh, we'll see if Ben knows anything about that. Ben Nichols and Smith next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, my brain is irredeemably broken when you wake up with Hinder's 2005 hit, Lips of an Angel, in your head. Uh, yeah, not great. <laughs> Let's see if we can erase that completely by talking to Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet. Ben, how are you, buddy? Doing well. This is uh, quite the uh, intro song. I actually kind of like it. It's a little melancholy. Oh, you would not like it if the song continued. It is one of the, like <laughs> like, of the kind of alt-rock boom of like 2003 to 7 ish it's got to be up there for the like worst songs that got really really big <laughs> tremendously yeah, bad it, music video too yeah it's got like does it have like a little bit of a creed vibe with yeah. that vo- those vocals like yeah. if you Which if you fired that up on youtube right now like creed would def- creed and three doors down and daughtry would be like the three like recommended for you things that came up it wouldn't be great you wouldn't have a good morning of music ben I don't know, man. Maybe I would. Maybe I would. I, I mean, look, I I already know that you're a, a you're a runner, but you're not a big music guy. So uh, the the mix of running with podcasts or whatever, maybe maybe the the slower, more melancholy alt rock is uh, is your running vibe. I don't know. How how was the running in Coors, by the way? Did you uh, did you do one of those high altitude runs you you potentially kicked around? Yeah, I did get out there and. Um, it's like, it's harder. It's it's not like way harder, but it's sort of like running if you're a bit sore or running in the heat. It's like, it's a little bit harder because of the altitude. It's a little harder to breathe. All right. Well, I won't, uh, I'll take your word for it because I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Uh, so, okay. It was also a little difficult for the Blue Jays. They won two of three, but it was pretty ugly. They probably should have taken three. They almost coughed up more than one. They, uh, you know, pitches don't break the same and things like that. And then they go into Oakland and it's another kind of weird one where they win two, but they don't look very good. And you, you probably should have gotten more than two out of that series. Um, we zoom out here. Yeah. Four of six on any West coast road trip against anyone is fine. It's not bad. Right. And certainly not with Bo Bichette and Matt Chapman and, and Danny Jansen out, but we zoom out a little bit more and, and you know, this 15-game stretch that was against four last-place teams and a struggling Cleveland team, and, you know, people, obviously, it's not an exact science to say you have to have this record, but, you know, people had said, well, maybe 12-5, and five, maybe 11-4, and four, and now the best they can do if they sweep the Royals is 10-5. and five. Again, still not a very bad stretch of baseball, but maybe not quite the excellent stretch we'd anticipated. Does that, to you, feel just like kind of an avatar for the entire season. Yeah, it really does because this Blue Jays team has been underwhelming at every turn. And so why would we expect their West Coast road trip to be anything different? I mean, they need to be something more than underwhelming at some point pretty soon, and they can't continue to be as uninspired as they have so far this season. But um, 
yeah, like I think to go four and two, it's not good. It's it's kind of the bare minimum, really, through that West Coast stretch. Like the Rockies are really bad, and the A's are even worse. And so, yeah, to win two of three, if you're going to Philadelphia and Boston in May, you you take four of six, you're thrilled. You go three and three, you're fine. But it's all about context. And I think given how awful these teams are, like borderline historically bad, right, with Oakland, and then where the Jays are and what they need to do, it was not a great road trip. And I'm not saying it was horrible. I'm not gonna. I'm not sitting here and saying that. But like, it wasn't great. It wasn't. And again, if they sweep the Royals, they finish this 15 game stretch 10 and five. And even if you, I mean, I wouldn't take the Guardians off of the list because even though they're in second place and claimed a bunch of guys on waivers, they're very bad. They're a very bad baseball team, um, you know, by run differential, by record, by watching them play. I would include them in, hey, this 15 game stretch is the easiest two weeks you're going to have of the season. So, yeah, to come out of that best case scenario now, 10 and five. And, you know, if they do the whole we're just going to win series things, nine and six uh, is tough. Now, this Kansas City team. You mentioned it. Oakland is historically bad. Colorado is the third worst team in baseball. This Kansas City team nestles right in between them there with a uh, 312 winning percentage. Um, again, not to overdo the what does urgency look like against bad teams thing, but headed into a four game set against Texas, half a game up on them while Texas is playing Oakland this weekend. Like you, you have to be entering this one thinking sweep, not series win, right? Oh, yeah. Like, they do need to sweep at a certain point. You can't just keep winning two out of three and assuming that that's going to work out for you, um, especially because against the Rays, I mean, you might go three and three. You might go two and four in those games against Tampa. So you have to make up ground when you can, and there is no better opportunity on the Blue Jays' schedule than these three games against Kansas City. And I believe Cole Reagan's pitches mm-hmm. on Sunday. So, you know, that's... That's a little bit challenging because he's been tremendous um, ever since they made that great trade for him in June. But um, still, it doesn't matter. It's still the Royals. You got to sweep them. And this is one of those things where, you know, like, okay, so the minimum, the bare, bare minimum, obviously, is two of three. They absolutely can't lose two of three to Kansas City. And they really should sweep. Like, the Jays are much better. They might get Bo Bichette back tomorrow. Um, they are a much, much better team. And if you have aspirations of being in the playoffs, you got to earn it. And at a certain point, you actually have to win those games that that you need to. And so this is one of those chances where they need to earn it. And I, I've seen very little, um, you know, moments or stretches this season where the Blue Jays actually go ahead and just fully push. You know, it's it's always been a push and then a step back. And they need to just make a real push at some point. That means playing good baseball, and it means hustling out of the box in ways they sometimes didn't do. Um, and it means getting some more offense than than they got with just one home run against the Oakland Athletics this week. Ooh, yeah, just one home run while the uh, the Houston Astros, by the way, hit 16 over the same three games. So um, we're going to talk more Jays and including Bo Bichette's, uh potential return this weekend in a moment here. But you mentioned... Cole Raggins. We're not going to look ahead to Sunday's game yet. We've got Esteban Rivera on the show tomorrow who wrote a really great piece at Fangraphs about what's gone into Raggins' breakout. Uh, but Ben, I want to te- talk about the team that traded away Cole Raggins for Aroldis Chapman, who hasn't been that good, and they still have the worst bullpen of any playoff, potentially playoff-bound team uh, in baseball here in the Texas Rangers. So the Jays remain half a game up because the Rangers got swept by Houston in, in very dramatic fashion. Um, on paper, this is still a Texas team that has a really good lineup, even without Josh Young. They have names in the starting rotation, certainly. Um, they do have 
probably the worst bullpen of anyone who could make the playoffs right now. When you look at what has happened to them over the last month or so, and, you know, I, I guess we'll, we'll talk to you during the Rangers series, but as an early look ahead to that series, I guess just what do you make uh, of what has happened with the Rangers? And, you know, have they been downgraded to you to a team that shouldn't really be a threat? Do you see a path to them, you know, finding some of that early season magic that they had, uh, at least offensively? Where are you with the Rangers big picture at this point? Yeah, honestly, I'm... I still think they're a good team. Like, I still think that this is a really good offense. They still lead the American League and run score. They've got all kinds of power bats in the middle of that order with Seager and Semyon and Adolis Garcia. Garver's been on a heater for the last little while. So, yeah, I, I think they're a good team. And I know Scherzer was lit up the other day. Um, they've obviously had massive bullpen issues as well. But to me, they're good enough to outplay the Blue Jays in the course of the next three weeks, right? And, like... A lot of teams are. Some teams aren't. Like the Royals will not be as good as the Blue Jays. The A's won't be as good. But the Rangers are certainly in that category of relatively short sample. They could outplay the Toronto Blue Jays. So if you're the Jays, you can't necessarily worry about what Texas is going to do uh, against Oakland. You have to assume that Texas will take care of business against a far inferior team. And then that means the Jays have to take care of their own business against the Royals. So in terms of taking care of that business against the Royals and then handling the Rangers, this runs the risk of overthinking things or overlooking uh, an opponent. But off day today, chance to get everyone in the rotation a day off or juggle some things. The Blue Jays have only announced that Yusei Kikuchi will start on Friday. They haven't yet announced their Saturday, Sunday starters. Do you think, Ben, they are considering their rotation options insofar, not so much about who needs the rest most and how to structure that, but about how to maximize that Ranger series? That's an interesting idea, and this is the first I'm uh, first time I'm kind of considering it. Um, it's... Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. So how do you want to get a little more specific as to what that would look like? Yeah, sure. So uh, if the Jays just stayed on turn and everyone gets a rest, uh, the normal rest, this series against Kansas City would be Kikuchi, Gosman, Barrios. And that's cool. Uh, but what it would mean is no Barrios in that Texas series. So whether it's flipping Barrios and Gosman to get Gosman an extra day, we know he values and make sure Barrios is in the Texas series. Or, you know, potentially it's Kikuchi, Gosman, someone else. Uh, uh, I guess it would be Bassett on regular rest so that you have Barrios and Gosman both in the in the Texas series. Just kind of everyone but one is going to pitch in that Texas series. And so whoever starts Sunday will not pitch in the Texas series. And you could find a way to Gosman, Barrios, or Bassett all starting Sunday and therefore not pitching against Texas. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, um, I like, if it ends up being Barrios who doesn't pitch against Texas, then I think that's okay. I think if it's if it's Barrios versus Bassett and you're able to get Bassett, um, you know, onto that Sunday and then Barrios pitches against Texas and Bassett doesn't, you know, that's maybe a slight, slight upgrade, but Bassett's been so good his last few starts anyway. He's Power-heavy really team, like, though, with some, with some good lefty bats. It is, but, you know, Chris Bassett's faced a lot of power hitters this year, and he's mm -hmm. still one of the best pitchers, you know, in the American League, really. He's, you know, certainly top 30 starting pitchers in this in this league, um, so if not better than that. So 
Um, he leads the league in wins for what that's worth. He's, he's sixth got a ton in of innings. innings, which is, you know, yeah. arguably the most valuable thing you can do, whatever the results. It's, it's definitely valuable on Tuesday. They needed it <laughs> then. So, I, yeah, I think my inclination is interesting idea, but probably just keep rolling through with the way that they're set up right now. But we'll see. I mean, that's a good question for this weekend um, and see what John Schneider has to say about that. And that was, you know, my thought too was they'll they'll just stick on rotation because off day Thursday and then a 10-game stretch and then an off day, right? So everyone's going to get one extra day of rest and then do two turns and then get one extra day of rest and you can just keep it rolling. There's also not like a huge difference between SP1 and SP5 for this team, right? Like there's not a, a huge drop off at each successive spot. Um, it's more matchup based. The only reason I brought it up is because when I saw they only announced one probable pitcher, I was like, huh, that's uh, that's interesting. Okay, so this Royal series, the big change we could see, Ben, is Bo Bichette potentially back. Uh, it sounded like from Shy and Arden's reporting in Oakland that this weekend for sure, maybe as early as Friday, but that it, it's a little too early to tell. Uh, he's going to do a workout today at Rogers Center uh, and, and kind of judge that progress. Obviously, well ahead of Matt Chapman and well ahead of Danny Jansen, who are, you know, not imminently close to a return if Jansen's going to return at all. Um, so let's play out the Bo Bichette return impact. Um are you of the mind that the corresponding playing time losses are Mason McCoy to AAA, Ernie Clement kind of back into a Mason McCoy-ish role on the bench? I think once Bo Bichette is fully healthy, that's what happens. Um, I think the interesting wrinkle in this is what the Blue Jays decide to do if Bichette is most of the way back, but not 100%. And, you know, clearly if Bo is 90%, he's going to basically say he's 100% and they're going <laughs> to activate him. And How'd that work out last play. time? Well, I know, but here, here's the thing, though. Like, obviously, you need to be responsible here, and you owe that to every player, and including Boba Shett. And and not only do you owe it to them as a as an organization, you want to be somewhat cautious with someone who's so important to the long term of this franchise. But look, this is also an important year right now, and these games are really important right now. So, if there's ever a time that you're going to be okay with a player taking the field at less than 100%. This is it. Like, And and I, I don't advocate being reckless here, but if Boba Shett is 80 or 85%, to, like this is my opinion, is they should activate him. <laughs> and they should activate him even if he can only pinch hit. Because uh, a Boba Shett at 80% who's pinch hitting twice a series for you is more important to this team than Mason McCoy's defense. And so... That's the move that I would make. I, I don't know how the Jays are going to approach this and they might want to wait until he's fully 100% and that would be a justifiable decision. But to me, I think even if he can pinch hit and jog down to first base, you know, you don't have to necessarily be making those stops and starts and, you know, cutting in to to do a pickoff play. Um, all those those difficult things on a, on a player's leg that Boba Shack could normally do, you can put those to the side for now. You can let Ernie Clement play shortstop on an everyday basis. But if Bichette can DH, if he can pinch hit, I would still activate him because you have expanded rosters mm -hmm. and these games are so massive. Yeah. And look, it sounds like he's getting pretty close, if not a, a thousand percent, like he's already been sprinting, you know, hasn't done the running the bases, but I, I believe, I can't remember if it was you or Arden he told, but Hey, the full out sprint is a better gauge for him anyway, with this injury versus the, the knee thing. So he, he's getting close. Um, I know you don't have uh, an update on this. You weren't in Oakland and we, we won't hear until tomorrow from John Schneider. But um, when it comes to Matt Chapman and Danny Jansen, Danny Jansen, I think we all know we're, we're, we're all kind of like 
waiting for the bad news to come that, hey, this is more of a six to eight week instead of two to four week kind of finger fracture. But with the lack of clarity on Matt Chapman, do we need to start, you know, a lot of our early discussions were, okay, in 10 days when Bo and Matt Chapman come off the IL, what does that look like? Do we need to start thinking about maybe Matt Chapman's not back in a timely manner here? Yeah, I mean, he's eligible to come back on tomorrow. Yeah. So he technically could come back. It, that's obviously not going to happen. Yeah, he, he hasn't hasn't held had, a bat yet still. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's he's not close. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a different timeline. I mean, at this point, I'd be surprised if he's back in a week, right? Like mm-hmm. to go from splint on your hand, you have to get, um, you know, take some swings, first of all, off a tee. Then you're going to do it in the cage. Then you're going to do it, you know, in BP. I doubt he maybe. I don't know if he even goes on a rehab assignment, but one way or another, he needs to see some sort of game adjacent pitching. Maybe that's a sim game at Rogers Center. Um, but at some point, that has to happen too. So, and and have recovery time in between because this is a, it's turned out to be somewhat of a significant injury for Chapman. So, you know, I, yeah, if he's back against the Red Sox, I mean, that's probably a great outcome, but you're not holding your breath. So there seems to be at least a week of separation between Chapman and Bo. Yeah, and, you know, there's also, you know, hey, you're going to do some dry swings and just grip a baseball for uh, for a little bit too. Um, the Bisons, by the way, next week are on the road in Scranton. So, um, you know, maybe maybe he ends up uh, there. I don't know if he's a fan of the office, but maybe he'd get a kick out of uh, out of that quick rehab assignment. Not too, too far away, but obviously not Buffalo. Um, I get you mentioned there the potential for, hey, maybe you do a sim game at Rogers Center or something like that. Um, I don't know. Maybe Alec Manoa throws it and that's how he contributes to this team. Um, there is still some mystery around Alec Manoa. We have physically seen proof he's in Buffalo now. He's been in the dugout for that team, but he was placed on this kind of nebulous inactive list that minor league teams can use similar to the developmental list where it's like, Hey, we need to add someone to the roster and this guy's not playing right now. And it's the minor leagues. Let's be reasonable about this. Um, What is the latest that you've heard on Alec Manoa's situation and his proximity to actually pitching for the Buffalo Bison? Yeah. um, And I know you say it in jest when you're talking about that sim game, but not entirely. That's yeah. It's not, I don't think that's happening. I really don't. Um, (laughs) Because, uh, you know, at this point, so we know that Alec Manoa hasn't been um, pitching off a mound. Um, The intention still is to get him pitching off of a mound and into a progression that would allow him to pitch again in professional games, something he has not done since August the 10th. So that's a pretty substantial absence at this point. My understanding is that Manoa is going to have some further testing done, um, that that is now... Uh, about to happen um, sometime soon, and that uh, Manoa, who's who's felt um, reported some physical symptoms of uh, you know dealing with some quad and and back and knee issues, um, wants to get those checked out. Sounds like the Blue Jays are very much on board with getting that checked out. But to this point, there's been no injury that's been found. So um, you know Manoa. Um, is is going to visit with uh, a specialist of some kind and see where that leads. Um, but in the meantime, you know that's a it's still a long way back to get to the point that he's pitching in a game because first he's got to be throwing you know off flat ground, he's got to be throwing off a mound, he's got to be throwing a couple innings. It's a it's a there's a reason the major league spring training is six weeks long and it's not for the hitters. So you know it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough 
for him to pitch. And I, I'd be surprised if we see him in a professional game this year because of the reasons that I just outlined. And it's it's a fascinating thing. Obviously, it's I'm sure it's frustrating for everyone in, involved, especially Alec Manoa. I can't even imagine the mental component of you think you're not physically right and nothing is showing up in these tests or whatever, and you still don't feel you know physically there. And I'm sure there's other stuff he can work on in the interim, whether it's conditioning or, or strengthening, whatever. But there's this weird, you know, I don't know. I've never been in that situation, but we've heard. I remember talking to Landry Fields for a really long time uh, the other year about what it was like when he kept having these wrist issues shooting a basketball and they kept finding nothing. And eventually yeah. he ended up needing like multiple surgeries and they they thought they knew what it was and it was wrong. And then it was something else. And I'm not suggesting that's the case with Manoa, but I did get kind of a window into the mental toll that being physically not right and not being able to figure it out takes. Now, Ben, I guess the other thing with this, and this is a bit more, you know, labor related or roster related and maybe too niche for the, the high point of this conversation, but does it surprise you that given that he's still reporting some discomfort or pain and that he's not pitching and is going for more testing that Manoa's camp or the union or anyone like that has not pushed back on, Hey man, this guy should be on the IL. So he's still getting his service time and his major league paycheck versus being in the minors where those things aren't true. I mean, within your question, there's a premise that they haven't done that. And, um, you know, I, I, I would think that that probably has happened because, oh, okay. you know, just broadly speaking, um, if you're a player, it's kind of fair. It's kind of preferable to be on the major league injured list for a few reasons. One, you're collecting major league salary Two, you're collecting major league service time. So, you know, nine times out of 10, I think a player would prefer to be on the major league injured list as opposed to a uh, minor league optional assignment. So I'm not saying one way or the other with, re- with respect to Manoa, um, not exactly sure how those conversations have gone, but I would presume that nine times out of 10, that's going to be the player's preference. Yeah, I guess that's that's fair. I should not have assumed that those conversations have not happened. Um, so that's, uh, well, thank you for that update. That's that's the most we've heard on, on the Manoa situation in a while. We'll keep an ear out and an eye out for updates from uh, that specialist appointment. But yeah, I think we're all operating as if Alec Manoa is not in the mix the the rest of the way, because like you said, it would probably be late September before he's even ramped up uh, to be ready to go here. Um, Okay. So the other person on the IL who we don't really have, well, Eric Swanson's also on the IL. We assume he's going to be back relatively shortly through a bullpen here in Toronto on Tuesday. Um, Danny Jansen visited a specialist yesterday. I'm sure we get an update tomorrow from John Schneider. But my question for you, Ben, and I've kind of been asking everyone this, and it's more from a fun and curiosity perspective than uh, you can't play Tyler Heineman or Dalton Varsho needs to have the value that you know you traded for. Uh, do you foresee any scenario in which we get to see Dalton Varsho behind the plate? Oh, man. I, I actually, you know, I was talking to Sam McKee and Brent Gunning about this topic yesterday on our station. And um, I actually sort of like the idea of having Dalton Varsho catch a couple bullpens or catch a couple sides, like just get on the gear just in case, because it's not plan A. Like we know plan A was to have Danny Jansen involved in the catching um, in, a, in a much greater way than he can be right now. But as it stands, Alejandro Kirk's going to be out there a lot. And we know the Jays seem to play all these close games. And so if Kirk is doing his job and getting on base, there are going to be many situations where you might want to pinch run for Kirk. And what happens if 
Heinemann starts a game. You pinch hit for Heinemann. You want to pinch run for Kirk. Like, what if it's the ninth inning or the tenth inning of a game you have to win? Let's say it's against the Rangers. Then you actually might want to have someone available to catch. And that guy, obviously, would be Dalton Varsha, who started, I think, was 17 games as a catcher in the major leagues last year. So if I'm the Jays, I am asking Dalton Varsho probably today or tomorrow to go to Rogers Center, get the gear on, and just make sure that in a plan C situation, he is available. It's not the it's not what you want, but I actually think that that is something the Jays should consider just in case. And it was also part of the idea of Dalton Varsho, right? Was that like, yeah, hey, if you're a team that's going to play your catcher at DH a lot of the times, which the Jays projected to be before Kirk had a bit of a down year and both of those guys have been hurt and things like that. But yeah, that was part of the idea of you have your third catcher uh, available. You don't need to have uh, an extra guy. And you're right. He did start eight. He did start 18 games there last year. He actually played in 31 games at, at catcher. So he got into, you know, he has experience coming in in late game scenarios with, with 13 appearances there. And I guess the Diamondbacks had the benefit of, well, they had like six guys who can play center field. So you could lose Varsho there without the defensive loss in, in the outfield. But yeah, I'd like to, I'd like, I, I don't, I guess I don't want to see it against Kansas City because that means you're playing really close games where you've had to make a ton of situational moves. I'd rather you just blow out Kansas City. Uh, but I kind of want to see it. Uh, okay, so Ben Nicholson-Smith, we, we laid out kind of the wild card situation how big this series is, um, what has gone wrong with the Texas Rangers, but they're still fairly solid uh, overall. And certainly on the offensive side, they have a load of potential. Today, the Toronto Blue Jays per Fangraphs playoff odds sit at 62.1%. They're half game up. They have these four games coming up against the Rangers. Would you say you are more or less confident than the Fangraphs odds that the Blue Jays will make the playoffs? So more or less confident that they have a 62.1% chance of sneaking into the playoffs? I think they're going to make it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if they will. I could very easily see them missing, uh, especially if they lose a couple against KC this weekend. But as things stand right now, I think they can make it. I think they can. And um yeah, once they get in, I think they can beat the Twins. <laughs> like, uh, and, I, and they have to, too. This is the other thing. You know, they, they can make it in. Okay, great. That was pretty much the baseline, baseline for this season because they were supposed to win the division or have a real good shot at winning the division this year. And getting in was never the goal. They, they have yet to win a playoff game with Bo, with Vlad, with this young core. And so the time is now not only to get in, but to win playoff games and to win playoff series and to extend this thing deep into October, which feels so distant right <laughs> now, the way they've been playing. But that still needs to be the goal. And so I say, I say, they. I, I mean, I don't know where you land on this one, Blake, but to me, I, I think they get in. Yeah, I would look, I'm splitting hairs here. Fangraphs is at 62%. I'd maybe bump that to like 66.6 repeating. Like I think they got yeah. like a two thirds shot here. And if yeah. they only take one of four against Texas, I'm probably going to feel like that's 0%, even though it'll mathematically be like 48% or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. And it's like the, the wild thing about this time of year is that's my answer today is I'll copy your answer. I'll say 66%. Um, but my answer Sunday could be 75% and it could be 33%. You know, it could it could really slide. Yeah, it's big, big swings. Even yesterday when the Jays and Texas both lost, they lost a couple percentage points in playoff odds over at Fangraphs um, just because, yeah, you're supposed to beat the Oakland Athletics and you're supposed to beat the Kansas City Royals. 
this weekend. Uh, ben Nicholson Smith, thanks for taking the time out, man. Are you on the call this weekend? No, I am. Yes, you that's are. The plan. All right. Well, then I'll uh, I'll probably see you down at the park, but not bug you too much because you'll be uh, you'll be very busy. <laughs> Looking forward to it, Blake. See you down there. Ben Nicholson Smith of Sportsnet of Sportsnet.ca, of course, but also on the Sportsnet radio broadcasts of these games this weekend with Ben Wagner. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Ben mentioned there. By the way, that the only probable pitcher listed for Kansas City is Cole Raggins on Sunday. He has been awesome. Uh, if you have not watched a lot of Kansas City Royals baseball, good for you. Uh, I'm glad you're taking care of yourself and haven't done that. Maybe the Mariners series you tuned into a couple, but Raggins has kind of become appointment viewing the last little bit. Not the best time for the Jays to run into him, but uh, Sunday should be fun in that regard. We'll set that series up tomorrow. We'll take a deeper look at what's gone right for Cole Raggins. Unfortunately, our pal Samad Taylor has been optioned down, so we're not going to see his revenge series uh, stealing four bases as a pinch runner over three games. Um, but yeah, that's a Royals team that is not very good. We'll tee that up tomorrow. We'll talk to a couple people to set that one up. Right now, we're going to take a break, though. We're going to talk to Ben Verlander on the other side, uh, Fox Sports MLB analyst, host of the Flippin' Bats podcast, obviously the Shohei guy. Uh, so we'll see what the latest on that is. But he's also uh, been pretty panicked about the Blue Jays. But that was before the Texas Rangers did what the Texas Rangers have done. And I know Ben was locked in to yesterday's game, Verlander versus Scherzer. So we'll see what he thought about that and what he thinks about the AL wildcard race uh, next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. The Toronto Blue Jays are chasing down the Texas Rangers. The Houston Astros are doing them some favors. They absolutely beat the brakes off of the Texas Rangers uh, the last three games, totaling 50 hits and 16 home runs. Uh, that included a 12-3 to series finale last night and what we thought was going to be a pitcher's duel and a fun one with a lot of undercurrents uh, narratively with Justin Verlander against Max Scherzer didn't play out that way. Scherzer got chased early. Verlander had a nice start, but uh, yeah, not particularly close. Certainly not a pitcher's duel. Someone who was fired up for that game joins us now of Fox sports MLB analyst and host of the flipping bats podcast. It's Ben Verlander. Ben, good morning, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no problem. I, I got to ask. I, I know before we talk baseball, Tonight's the NFL opener. Are you fantasy? Are you fantasy ready? I, I know this is something that you, uh, you and Justin do uh, put a lot of time into. How are you feeling? I am. I am very ready. I would say the time uh, is divvied up there about ninety nine percent me, one percent <laughs> Justin. So I put in a lot of the time there. Um, but yeah, I'm locked in. I think I accidentally ended up in too many fantasy leagues, but you know, it'll be fine. Oh <laughs> no. How, how terrible, how will you ever manage? Uh, you'll be all right, man. Um, okay. So in baseball on the baseball side of things, and it, while you're juggling all this, you're also getting to sit down with Julio Rodriguez for an awesome, uh, interview on the flipping bats podcast. And there was a lot of fun stuff, a, a lot of lighter stuff, but you guys also got into some of 
you know, hey, Julio was not having a Julio season. It was not the sophomore step forward. It was more of a, a sophomore slump for a little bit. He was kind of just good, not Julio. And things changed, not exactly at the All-Star break, but around the All-Star break. And he has been unbelievable since in talking to him what do you think has changed or, or clicked for him in the Mariners this last I don't know six to eight weeks yeah well I started with with the Mariners and asking what changed there because they were a 500 baseball team and then went on a stretch that was the best Mariners stretch in, in 50 years <laughs> and he, he honestly said that Nothing really changed in the locker room. Because you see the vibe. There's videos out there of their locker room vibe and everything. And I asked, like, how much has that changed? He's like, honestly, it's been that way all year long. We just believed in ourselves, And finally, it just started clicking for us. And that's when I asked about him. Like, well, what started clicking for you? He's like, well, it was a little, it was a, you know, there were a few mechanics that I, that I ended up changing. But all in all, just believed that he was one of the best players in baseball. And it finally started clicking. And he is a guy, you know, I, I asked because you can look around. He was got hot a little before the All-Star break. But really, since then, it's been unbelievable. And I asked him if he feels like the home run derby actually helps his swing. And he said he knows there's a lot of people and a, a stigma that has been around forever that if you participate, it messes up your swing. And he actually believes the opposite. He thinks it helps lock him in. I know we saw that with Juan Soto a couple of years ago. And afterwards, he went on an MVP push. So, it was just really cool talking to him and hearing how, like, you know, committed to his process that he is, and it, it's worked out. It's worked out for him, and it's worked out for the Mariners, which, you know, honestly, in my opinion, pretty much goes hand-in-hand hand when he's rolling, the Mariners are rolling. And, and look, we've kind of looked at it here in Toronto and been like, yeah, this all makes sense. You, you're kind of underperforming as a team. The pitching staff's doing their job. The overall offensive numbers aren't that bad. But when your superstar starts playing like a superstar, things just flow a lot easier. And, and you know, Julio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are very different players and different people. But what do you think we can take from, you know, the, what Julio was able to give you guys in terms of his perspective on, on this and how the season has gone for him when we look at any other kind of young star player who, who maybe hits a, a bit of a rut or, and again, we're, we're obviously the bars different. Julio Rodriguez was like a league average hitter with elite center field defense. And we called that a slump. Um, but for a guy who <laughs> maybe takes a step down from superstar level for a little bit, what do you think we can learn from, you know, Julio's perspective and what he's gone through this year? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be learned there. And, you know, just hearing how, poised he is as, as the young man that he is and hearing you know sophomore slump it's a thing for a reason and maybe not because of like oh second year in the league it's bound to happen but no it, it makes sense you know it, you're you're young uh maybe you came up and had success the league didn't really know you didn't know how to pitch to you yet and now for him to come up as young as he is in, the, in year two and battle through it and like you said he was he was an all-star and he was you know he was league average at the time when playing great defense and now he's back to being an MVP caliber player but uh, I think there's a lot to be learned there about the persistence he has and the mentality he has because it ain't easy to do that it ain't easy to, to, to push through something like that mentally where you want to carry your team and you know it's your responsibility to carry the team um, and, and maybe Vlad putting a lot of that on himself uh, because I, I agree the, the Blue Jays they're a completely different team when Vlad is good and Vlad is Vlad and Vlad is great. And, uh, you know, they, they need him to be that great 
triple crown type player that we saw a couple of years ago. So let's let's pivot to the the Blue Jays then. I know it was a, a little over a week ago now, but you guys on the Flipping Bats podcast kind of went through these bubble playoff teams, and you had said that it was the Jays that you were maybe most panicked about. You'd pick them before the season to win the American League East. The pitching has obviously held up their side. When you look at this American League wildcard race right now, where, yeah, the Rangers have spiraled, but they did so much good work early that they're still right there in it. Um, you know, Seattle and Houston have had really strong stretches at times and the Jays have kind of just hummed along as like, like it feels like they've been in the fourth wild card spot every single day of the season, even though that's not true. Um, what do you make a, of the blue Jays big picture? And, and, you know, I guess the, this AL wild card race in general, I, I think they're, I think the blue Jays ultimately will get in is my thought. And if they do, um, I think they can be a problem. Uh, just right now, I, I just find myself all year long wanting to believe in them, and maybe it's selfishly because I picked them to win the AL East, so I just you know keep my head down. So they're, they're coming. It'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, but I, I, I do just believe, and obviously I'm, I've gone off that AL East prediction. I do not think any longer they're going to win the AL East. But I just think they're the type of team that if they get into the playoffs, they do have that perfect blueprint of how to win in the playoffs, right? You have, you have a, you have a bunch of studs in a rotation that you can throw out there, which is very important in playoff baseball. And then you have the the superstars in the lineup that are capable of doing it. And I, I do think what's happened with the Rangers has helped my opinion here that I think they get in. I, I think the Rangers are kind of in shambles right now. Their bullpen is a nightmare. Max and Evaldi aren't pitching well lately. Um, and then uh, whatever happened to Adolis Garcia last night, it, it looked rather serious. I just think they're in a downward spiral right now. I think the Blue Jays are going to be able to take advantage. And if they do, they're built to win in October. Yeah, that's uh, yeah the Adelis Garcia thing. Obviously, you never want to see it happen via injury, but that looks like uh, not a great knee thing. And sure, you get top prospect Evan Carter up, but that's not uh, that's not Adelis Garcia. Um, ben, I want to swing it over to the National League wild card race as well. In the American League, you know, look, none of the, it, it's a lot about at least on this show here in Toronto, who's going to get in and who has the best chance. In the NL, it feels a little different because you know, the tiers are, well, the Braves and Dodgers feel way, way better than everyone else. So for me, I'm looking at this as like, okay, what's good. How can I have the most fun with the national league wildcard race? And Philly's pretty safely in the Cubs are in a good spot, but then we've got this mess of Miami, Arizona, Cincinnati, and San Fran, not too far away. Do you have a lean in terms of which one of those teams you'd like to see get in for matchup purposes or just because they're a lot of fun to watch or you're curious to see what it would look like? I think I I think the Reds are going to end up getting in, and the reason for me that I say that is one, uh, as we sit right now, the Marlins are in that third spot. The Marlins just had a awful day yesterday with Sandy News going coming out, and then Jorge Soler going down as well. And without Soler in that lineup, I, I do think that lineup needs him. I think that's the thump that that lineup needs, and they don't have him. Um, and then the Reds play 17 of their last 20 games against teams that are under 500. I mean, they're getting the the Cardinals, they're getting the Tigers, they're getting the Mets, the Pirates. Um, so I, I think the schedule lines up favorably for them where some of the other teams around them 
the the Diamondbacks, the Giants. The Giants have seven more games against the the, the Dodgers. You know, so <laughs> at this point in the year, I know baseball is not necessarily like to look at the schedule who are they playing but when you have 20 some games left i do think that comes into play and the reds certainly have the much easier path to the playoffs so you never know how that goes with a young core like they have sometimes it can be a good thing they they don't understand the moment they're in and they're just going out and having fun and sometimes the moment can get too big uh, I, I think they're going to be able to pull it off and, and get into the playoffs. I, I always love hearing that, though. Like, you're you're too dumb to know what you should be afraid of, or you're just it's uh, <laughs> it's great. It makes a team like that uh, a lot of fun, and it also you know tactically, I'd be so curious to see just how green light they go on the base paths in a playoff series, where you know they're kind of playing with house money at that point. Uh, could be a lot of fun, um, Ben. So you do your weekly Tuesday. This week in Shohei Otani news update at Flippin' Bats. This is Thursday, so this news is maybe a, a tiny bit uh, delayed, but he is dealing with, in addition to the UCL tear, uh, an oblique issue now that, that has popped up at, at other times in the past. Um, we heard from his representatives on the weekend about the different possibilities for that UCL in the off season. And obviously they have to be a little careful what they talk about there for market purposes and things like that. Um, Shohei is playing through this stuff or playing through it as best he can. Um, at, is there a point at which he would need to shut it down? Is there something that, you know, I know you had said maybe, you know, maybe once he gets to 50 home runs, it's something uh, they look at. What is the latest uh, on your feeling of, you know, where Shohei's at and how much longer we might see him in action this year? Well, if there was a point to to shut him down, it came weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Uh, it's completely his decision, obviously, and he's in good spirits and having fun playing, but you know, he's wrapped up the MVP in my opinion, and nobody's winning that, but Shohei Otani, um, the, the, the team obviously went through arguably the worst month in the history of baseball by completely going (laughs) all in and going for it. And 30 days later, just waving the white flag and admitting it didn't work and putting them all on waivers. Uh, just a nightmare there. Uh, but look, the guy the guy was born to play baseball. He loves the game of baseball. He loves playing it. He's having fun. He's still in good spirits. Uh, the diagnosis on his injury is good. So, uh, I, you know, I don't they, – they specify he would need a procedure. Uh, they didn't exactly say what that procedure would be, which means that they didn't say it would be Tommy John. They just said he would need a procedure, but he's going to hit next year. So, you know – it. it Everything is with the news and the results that they got. Things are very, they're feeling optimistic about that. I just, I, I don't know. I, you know, it's not my decision to make. He's <laughs> playing, he's having fun playing, which is great. I just don't know what the guy's playing for. I mean, seriously, you're, you're, you're going to be the MVP. You have nothing to prove. Uh, but at the end of the day, he just loves baseball and he's out there playing and, dealing with an oblique injury and still trying to get into the lineup with despite feeling a hundred percent. And uh, I would imagine in the next either in, in, in the next couple of games, either this next game or the one after he's going to be back in there. So uh, 
yeah, you know, if Shohei's having fun and Shohei wants to play baseball, then everybody should be okay with that. And and I am for sure. Yeah, no argument here, man. If you want to stick in there until you get to 50 home runs or 25 stolen bases or whatever it is, uh, stay in there. If it's And like you said, I think that the thing that permeates this is the love of being out there and playing every day too, even if he can't pitch it and he's not 100%. Um, you mentioned, Ben, that you think Shohei's got the AL MVP locked up. He's been worth, if you combine the hitting and pitching, something like nine wins or 10 if you look at depending on the the site you look at uh over in the nl though it's pretty razor close between mookie Betts, freddie freeman and ronald acuna jr those two teams have obviously been uh tremendous and way better than anyone else in the nl uh do you have a lean between that trio of guys like hypothetical ballot today yeah my lean is is ronald acuna and i i i do think uh, I feel like I started the conversation a, a month ago saying this race is closer than I think most people realize. And I was called crazy for that. And it was a runaway from Ronald Acuna. And then Mookie has done what Mookie has been doing lately, which is Mookie put together one of the best months of all time. Yeah. I think he got himself back into it. And uh, then that series out here. Uh, and I was at the game that Ronald hit. And I said this, uh, Ronald hit the hardest hit ball that I've ever seen. And I just said that out loud. And then I looked and saw that I was pretty much like, yeah, you're, you know what? That's pretty much accurate. That might yeah. be the hardest hit ball ever. <laughs> so, series uh, kind of cemented, not cemented. Anything can happen. There's a month left of baseball. But if everybody stays the course, uh, I, I think Ronald is the, the favorite right now. I think he went into Mookie's house and, and dominated that series. And I think that was uh, an exclamation mark when we look back when Ronald is raising that trophy. I think that's going to kind of have been the exclamation mark that won that award for, for Acuna. He's just been so consistent. Yeah, he's the been. Stolen bases. I, I, I think they matter. Yeah, of course. Absolutely, they should. And, and that Braves team has been uh, tremendous and a tremendous amount of fun. Uh, ben Verlander, thank you so much for taking the time out this morning. Uh, best of fortune in your and Justin's fantasy leagues moving forward, even if you are carrying the heavy end of that workload. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Ben Verlander, uh, Fox Sports MLB analyst, host of the Flippin' Bats podcast. Strongly recommend going to check out that sit down with Julio Rodriguez. It was a, a really fun in- interview. Julio's a ton of fun. There was a fun moment last night where Noel V. Marte, who we saw debut with the Reds uh, when the Jays were playing against him a couple weeks ago, got him on a laser of a throw from third base, and they were kind of doing the, the finger shake back at each other. Uh, really cool to have young guys in baseball who are that exciting and capable of showing some personality and allowed to show some personality uh, on top of just being really, really tremendous players elsewhere on the prospect front. Jordan Lawler got called up for the diamondbacks. So he's another name uh, to watch around baseball down the stretch here. The diamondbacks not calling him up because they're out of it, calling him up because Hey, they're a half game out or tied or whatever the latest was. They are half game out and they need every little bit uh, they can get that NL wildcard race is just as tight as the AL wildcard race. Now that AL wildcard race won't have a ton of movement in it today uh, around the American league. Seattle plays Tampa Bay. So there are some, you know, implications there, but not directly on the, the Houston, Texas, Toronto uh, juggling the Yankees played Detroit. The Yankees have been hot of late. I I'm not with certain pockets of Yankees Twitter who think they've gotten back in the mix here, but uh, yeah, do, do your worst Yankees. Uh, but otherwise the, uh, re- the 
primary AL wildcard teams off tonight. So we'll spend tomorrow setting up those weekend series. The Toronto Blue Jays, of course, hosting the Kansas City Royals for three. It's the first of a 10-game homestand. We gave away tickets to uh, one of the Jays-Rangers games earlier. We'll continue to do that uh, tomorrow and into next week. So make sure you tune in then and listen for those code words. Uh, Texas will play Oakland. Houston hosts San Diego. So some big series around baseball. We'll tee those up tomorrow. We'll uh, tee up Cole Raggins and the Royals. And yeah, we'll, uh, I don't know, we'll keep an eye on this Manoa situation and hopefully get some Blue Jays updates, although the Blue Jays updates will probably come after our show tomorrow. Uh, thanks to JJ Cooper, Ben Nicholson-Smith, and Ben Verlander for coming on today, to Jeff Lance and Jennifer behind the glass. Blair and Barker are in the usual 5-7 to seven slot, even though there's no Blue Jays game today. Uh, Brent Gunning has you next. And thanks to those who sent in texts in the text line. I didn't get to all of them, but uh, we'll sprinkle some in tomorrow as well. Blue Jays off tonight. Canada basketball, 4.45 a.m. tomorrow. So I'll be on coffee like number seven when I talk to you uh, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m.